evening and welcome to South Sudan in Focus on The Voice of America. I'm Nabil Biagio on this live broadcast from Washington. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan this Friday, February 16th, 2024. Individuals with disabilities in Upper Nile State express feelings of neglect by both governmental and non-governmental organizations. Persons with disability remain unattended to. Where do they belong? And we have a closer look at the impact of bride prices on gender relations in South Sudan. In lakes and barap, the bride prices are the highest. In the country, you find um, in lakes almost 10% of marriage is going 150,000 above. We will have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. Persons living with disabilities in the capital of Upper Nile State, Malakal, say they are neglected by both the government and non-governmental organizations. They assert that none of them have been appointed into the executive, judiciary and legislative branches of government and that NGOs do not employ or support them. Mamer Abraham Court reports for VOA for Malakal. Tonakol, chairperson of persons living with disabilities in Upper Nile State, survives on the little he earns from mobile phone repairs he performs in Malakal Town. He says the state and national governments should allocate 15% representation to persons with disabilities in Upper Nile State government. He says the 35% affirmative action for women and 65% for men are all taken by South Sudanese who are not disabled. Persons with disability remain unattended to. Where do they belong? 15% will be enough for us. Then we shall see how to share it. A call says there are no local or international non-profits supporting persons with disabilities in Upper Nile State and calls on non-profits in the state to introduce counseling services to persons with disabilities so they can heal their emotional distresses. It is good to have an organization that stands with persons with disabilities. The disability you have was created by God. If someone neglects you because of it, it will be between him and the creator. 30-year-old Nyawika Widyal, an amputee and a mother of three children, says some women with disabilities are deceived by men who promise to support them. He says some men abandon such women when they become pregnant, rendering disabled women helpless. Our life is very difficult. I beg from relatives sometimes to feed my children. Some men deceive women with disabilities that they want to stay with them. When you get pregnant, he abandons you with the baby. For the seven-year-old Gadpan Riek is an amputee who lives in an IDP camp. He says the relatives of his wife took away his children and another man married his wife. We are living outside. There is no food. My wife was taken by someone who is able, and I remained with children. I walked to the graveyard with crutches to collect food, firewood, and sell them to get some money to buy food for my children. Gabriel Chol is the treasurer in the Office of the Person with Disabilities in Upper Nile State. He says the government and humanitarian agencies should initiate income-generating activities to enable persons with disabilities support their families. I am asking for the Office of Persons with Disabilities to be empowered, even if with tuk-tuk or anything else that will generate income, or for disabled to be trained by giving them skills in electronics, 
or any small work they will help their families with. There are over 550 persons with disabilities in Malakal, according to the Office of the Persons with Disabilities in Upper Nile State. But the total number of persons with disabilities in the 13 counties of Upper Nile is not known. James Faisal Ajak, Director for Persons with Disabilities in Upper Nile's State Ministry of Gender, Child and Social Welfare, says his office is planning a headcount to acquaint itself with the needs of persons with disabilities across the state. He says many persons with disabilities do not have wheelchairs, crutches, or motorbikes to ease their mobility, especially when they want to go to schools. Our work plan is that we want to make an assessment and after we shall see their needs. For instance, the blind need a school of blind. For the deaf, they may also need a school. The disabled who are amputated also need to be given prosthetic legs. We may request our partners working with disabled so that they can assist disabled. South Sudan signed the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities on 24th February 2023 to step up respect, protection and fulfillment of the rights of persons with disabilities. An estimated 16% of South Sudan's population, about 1.2 million people, are living with disability. For VOA News, I am Amira Bramquat in Malakal. A new report by the non-profit organization, the Center for Trust, Peace and Social Relations, states that lakes in Warab states have the highest bride prices in South Sudan. The report delves into the impact of bride prices on gender relations as we hear from Juliana Shapai in Juba. The report, entitled Bring Enough Cows to Marry, takes a deep look at the bride price through numerical data from 15 counties in four states. It weighs the economic social and political implication on society of paying for a wife, a fairly common tradition in South Sudan. Jan Pospisil is a researcher at the Center for Trust, Peace and Social Relations in South Sudan. He says bride price varies widely. He says community in Equatorial area use money as bride price, but livestock is a common bride price amongst pastoralists. He says community in Equatorial area uses money as bride price, but livestock is a common bride price amongst pastoralists. In, in lakes and barap, the bride prices are the highest. In the country, you find um, in lakes, almost 10% of marriage is going 150 cows and above, which is considerable, especially given now that um, a considerable amount of these marriages also has money payment on top of the, the cattle that goes over. Um, the amount of cattle is a bit lower in Jonglei, but this has also the, uh, to do probably with the fact that, that, that there's more cattle simply in Warap and lakes and prices of cattle are, are a bit lower there. Nyanshakos Rambak Tai is an activist and former executive director of Assistant Mission for Africa who interviewed participants in her community for the report. Tai says some of the elders in her community consider bride price as a source of income. The more you have a strong social background within the society or you have a bigger position, the more you're supposed to charge more bride price or cows in order for you, you know, to cement your position. And some of the things that came out very clearly that the uncles, they play a very influential role when it comes to the number of the price of the bride price as well as you know how much is supposed to be paid and not the father 
Adut Alaki is a lawyer who conducted interviews for the report. She says most women were comfortable speaking about the practice because it addresses the issues that are close to their hearts. So in case of anything, for example, God forbid the guy dies, so now they are inheritance to the family because, you know, because dowry has been paid for them. So there's this risk of them feeling like a commodity, number one. Number two, there was this feeling about uh, both of the elder women, older women, and the younger women of, you know, after you cannot divorce. It's like you're, you're being held for ransom. Bride price vary widely in South Sudan. They are based on several factors including regional traditions, family background, beauty and the bride's level of education. VOA could not secure interviews with the beneficiaries of bride price in South Sudan's capital Juba because most residents say they were not comfortable speaking to journalists about traditional guidelines regarding bride prices. The United Nations estimates that 52% of girls in South Sudan are married by the age of 18, but some activists say the number could be much higher than that. For many girls in South Sudan, marriage means becoming someone's property and the end of their education. For VOA News, I am Juliana Shapai in Juba. Police in Malawi have seized mobile phones and laptops from at least 14 journalists working at the state-run Malawi Broadcasting Corporation, or MBC. The journalists are suspected of running a fake Facebook account bearing MBC's name where they allegedly posted false and anti-government stories. Press freedom groups have faulted the police for invading the journalists' privacy. Lamek Messina reports from Blantyre. A spokesperson for the Malawi Police Service, Peter Kalaya, told VOA that the probe is in response to complaints from the management of the Malawi Broadcasting Corporation. In the process of the investigations, we secured a search warrant from a court of law, which we have used to confiscate electronic gadgets from suspects, and the gadgets include phones as well as laptops. Kalaya declined to reveal the exact number of people being investigated and how they were identified for alleged committing cyber crimes. However, local media reports say that 14 journalists associated with MBC, including some who have left the channel, have had their devices searched. MBC public relations manager Chisomo Mamadi refused to comment on the investigation, saying the channel has left everything in the hands of police. Grayson Chapita, former controller of news for MBC TV in Blanta, is among the suspects. He told VOA that on Wednesday, police officers forced him to log into all his devices which have access to the internet. They searched my laptop. They were so much interested with my Facebook account. Uh, they did not check my emails, but they looked for uh, the passwords and the uh, Facebook recovery uh, in the system and the other emails that were in the system. They checked close to about 20 minutes and they took some screenshots. Chapita says police retained his devices after one of the police investigators said they did not find what they were looking for. Chapita said he stopped accessing all online platforms for MBC long before he stopped working at the state-run media organization. In fact, that was four years ago. I have nothing to do with MBC anymore. And for them, just invading on our privacy, just like that, you know, torturing us, traumatizing my 12-year-old daughter.
you know, being accused of running a fake Facebook account, that's absurd. I am a church order at my church. How are people going to look at me? I am so bitter. Some journalists who had their devices confiscated refused to give their names for fear of reprisals. But told VOA they fear police will gain access to confidential information they shared with news sources. Gordon Matonga is the chairperson for the Media Institute for Southern Africa in Malawi. This is uh, something which is worrying because it puts them at a vulnerable position because everything that the police might access or even the management of the MBC might access, which they were not supposed to access, can be used to harm their careers, can be used to harm their sources. National Police Spokesperson Nikolaya said the journalists are not immune to any type of police investigation. Some of the people who we are following up are not employees of MBC. And you cannot run away from a criminal investigation just because you are a journalist or because you are in this or that profession. No person is above the law. Galaya said police will keep confidential all the private information they find in the confiscated phones. Lamek Masina, VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. We have listener comments lined up for you right after this break. Stay tuned. Listener of South Sudan in Focus, we have an exciting new segment dubbed Words of Wisdom. We want to hear your thoughtful proverbs that echo through your community. This is another chance for you to share wisdom from your roots. All you need to do is record a proverb in a language of your choice, tell us its English translation and what it means. Keep it brief, authentic, and represent your community. Your recorded proverb shall be sampled on South Sudan in Focus every Wednesday. Send your recording via our WhatsApp number, plus one, two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. That is plus one, two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Russia is developing an anti-satellite weapon, the White House confirmed Thursday after a lawmaker sounded an alarm over what he described as a serious national security threat. While White House officials say it could land Moscow in violation of a treaty banning weapons of mass destruction in space, they said it is not an urgent threat and urge Americans not to panic as lawmakers met behind closed doors to discuss the issue. Anita Powell reports from Washington. All eyes are on the skies after Washington confirmed that Russia, seen launching a rocket earlier this month, is working on technology that the White House says could violate a treaty banning weapons of mass destruction in space. John Kirby is White House National Security Communications Advisor. I can confirm that it is related to an anti-satellite capability that Russia is developing. I want to be clear about a couple of things right off the bat. First, this is not an active capability that's been deployed. And though Russia's pursuit of this particular capability is troubling, there is no immediate threat to anyone's safety. We are not talking about a weapon that can be used to attack human beings or cause physical destruction here on Earth. Congress met Thursday for a closed-door briefing on the matter. 
Representative Mike Turner heads the House Intelligence Committee and is the person who sounded the alarm Wednesday about the threat. We all came away with a very strong impression that the administration is taking this very seriously and that the administration has a plan in place. Pentagon officials said the U.S. Space Force is poised to defend. Analysts say the U.S. military is clear-eyed about the dangers above our heads. Todd Harrison is a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute who focuses on defense and space policy. Whereas in the past, space was a secondary priority for all of the other military services. Now it is the top priority uh, for someone in the Pentagon, uh, and they really are, are starting to move forward on this. Many of our earthly activities, from global positioning systems that govern mass transportation, to military systems, to weather satellites, are controlled from space. Harrison said other countries are aware of this, too, and have been developing their own military technology. We use space for so many different things uh, in the military that an adversary can take space away from us and deny us the ability to use those space systems. Uh, they would negate one of our biggest advantages uh, in the U.S. military. So that's why other nations uh, have, like Russia and China in particular have been developing these anti-satellite capabilities uh, for years now. Kirby, who said Russia may be violating the Outer Space Treaty with this act, said Washington's first move is diplomatic. We plan to engage directly with the Russians about this, uh, and uh, as well as allies and partners. Arms control experts note that the 1967 treaty doesn't specify consequences, but they say a violation would alarm other major powers. Daryl Kimball is executive director of the Arms Control Association. This would affect the global economy, the uh, society writ large. So um, China would be deeply concerned. India would be extremely concerned. Countries that Russia has uh, better relationships with than they do with us. So I think uh, there would be a stinging rebuke. Um, that might be enough to encourage Russia to back down. So what now? Watch this space. Anita Powell, VOA News, Washington. Patients all around the world are still experiencing drug shortages long after COVID-19 supply chain jams have cleared. The U.S. Senate is looking at solutions as a nonprofit steps in to find these drugs. VOA senior Washington correspondent Caroline Persuti brings us the story of one woman's struggle to get the medication she needs. That's a good breeze. On a sunny day in North Carolina, Tony Desimitz sits on the edge of a calm lake, trying to keep her bait away from unwelcome visitors. There's a turtle, incoming turtle. <laughs> Most of the time, she's zooming through the woods on her mountain bike, just months after racing to beat her second bout of ovarian cancer. Desimitz has fought battles of a different kind. That is it. It's your badge. The retired police chief in Cary, North Carolina, is also a veteran of Operation Desert Storm in Iraq. My unit was um, 528 Special Operations Support Battalion. Now the country she fought for can't get her doctor the drugs to heal her. She came in a little frazzled and she's like, I have some, you know, really bad news. Um, you, you're not going to be able to get your carboplatin tomorrow. Desimitz is not alone. The University of Utah found that U.S. drug shortages set a record last year with 309 scarce drugs. The majority, inexpensive generic drugs, including carboplatin. Laura Bray founded Florida-based Angels for Change, a patient-centered nonprofit that is working to end shortages. She found the carboplatin that Desimitz needed. 
The group supplies entire hospitals so administrators can avoid tough decisions about sick patients. And it's the the head buyer, the head pharmacist, the head medical officer with an ethics person, and they're saying, they're opening up files and they're saying who's going to get this and who's not. That's our current mitigation strategy for shortages in the United States. Congress is taking note. Dr. Steven Schleicher, the chief medical officer of Tennessee Oncology, spoke before the House Ways and Means Committee. We were unable to treat 90% of patients as scheduled who should have received the drug. Experts blame the shortages on low cost. Here's how that works. An injectable generic drug requires extensive testing and development. It requires exact manufacturing protocols and regulatory approval from the Food and Drug Administration, or FDA. And then experts say the market forces the price down to less than the cost of a bottle of water. Alan Cockle is with the nonprofit generic drug maker Civica Rx. These low prices reduce the incentive and ability of manufacturers to invest in quality or in newer facilities. That pushes production offshore. That means India, where the FDA recently blocked some imports for quality issues. Or China, also a major supplier of U.S. drugs. Dr. Stephen Schondelmeyer is director of the Prime Institute at the University of Minnesota College of Pharmacy. We could have patients, uh, cancer patients or pediatric patients or other patients without the drugs they need because a country simply blocks us from having access to those drugs. Uh, and that's, you know, we don't rely on other countries to make the bullets when we fight wars, especially our sworn enemies. Javier Brucera spoke exclusively with VOA about that. He is the Secretary of Health and Human Services, the agency that handles prescription drugs. Do you support domestic manufacturing and how do we economically do that? Absolutely. Uh, and uh, the, pre- uh, the president has been very clear on this. Where we can, we should manufacture at home. Do you support raising the price of these generic injectables? We support looking at every option that should be on the table because, as I said, the the market is broken when it comes to these medications. Secretary Becerra says his agency is doing as much as it can until it gets more authority from Congress. That authority could include offering manufacturers incentives to help close the gap. Can I get another surf bowl? Tony Desimit's cancer is now in remission after receiving carboplatin, the life-saving drug that remains in short supply. Carolyn Prasuti, VOA News, Cary, North Carolina. It is time for us to sample your comments for this week. We start with these listener, listeners who left us voice notes. Hello, South Sudan in focus. This is Maladaman in Seattle, Washington. Radio has significantly contributed to the development of modern societies, and it keeps feeding both rural and urban areas with certified information. And we can attest that without radio, this world would have been in darkness. Happy World Radio Day to you all and thank you. Hello, VOA. My name is Akola Jet Michael from Jamula State. Allow me to wish happy hundred years for radio. Uh, I'm so happy to be part of the people congratulating or celebrating a hundred years of the existence of radio. I am a fourth-year student of mass communication and journalism uh, in one of the local universities here in South Sudan. And the reason why 
I chose mass communication and journalism was to graduate and become a radio journalist. I love radio. I love journalism. Thank you. James Roy Majok from Unity State in Bantu Town writes, I am really sorry for what happened yesterday in the Minister of Finance and Economic Planning. When wounded heroes are demanding their salaries, police started shooting them with bullets. Victims fighting other victims. This fan says, hello, John Tanza. It is sad that the Minister of Finance is purely responsible for the delayed salaries of civil servants, leading to loss of lives yesterday at the ministry's premises. These people have the right to ask for their salaries and receive them in a timely manner. Unfortunately, the country has been taken hostage, mostly by those who benefit on behalf of the whole country. Pam Bilou Deng Luat, living in POC3 in an IDP camp in Juba, writes, IDPs in Juba, South Sudan, call for humanitarian assistance. Since the World Food Program reduced the quantity of food distribution to IDPs in Juba in 2018, resulting in a total cessation of food distribution in IDP camps for a year, there have been water shortages and a lack of medication. IMC, responsible for IDP's healthcare, withdrew two years ago, acted a coordinator for humanitarian assistance in IDP camps in Juba, has announced the end of its mandate in IDP camps in 2022. As a result, IDPs in both POC 1 and 3 have demonstrated the failure of both the government and the UN to assist the population of nearly 100,000 people with food and clean water. Three weeks without water and one year without food distribution. Thanks. Mading Malwal Alwong in Juba says, It is concerning, absurd and heartbreaking that veterans and wounded heroes and individuals are not being adequately compensated for their, sel- for their service. It is important for the SPLM-led government to prioritize the welfare of its citizens, especially those who have made significant sacrifices for their country. They are being brutalized by their own fellow comrades who they liberated for marginalizations for demanding their unpaid allowances. This listener says, hello, I am Reverend John living in Uganda as a refugee. I appreciate the role being played by you. You are not you are not doing we are not doing well here the russian category group three has affected most of us people sleep hungry Stephen faustino director of century it generation company limited in kampala writes we have a computer and language training center in kampala this training has helped equip individuals with hands-on practical skills in a variety of programs like tally quickbooks SPSS, STATA, graphics design, video editing, and more. We encourage all South Sudanese to take part. Thank you. Chan Maluwal Alwong in Kwach Payam of PG County says, I'm very, It's very sad news to the people of Kwach for the loss of two people who drowned in a place called Amatnyang. The views, the opinions expressed here do not reflect the views of VOA or of this program. We appreciate hearing from all of you. Keep those comments coming. And that's all we prepared for you this Friday, February 16, 2024. We now leave you with Abdul Karim Al-Kabli and the song Bu'ad Akhtal.
We've been listening to Bu'ad Akbal by Abdul Karim Al Kabli. I'm your host, Nabil Biyajo in Washington. On behalf of our producer, Kwame Ofori, and engineer, Peter Huntley, we wish you a lovely weekend. Remember to join us again on Monday for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America.